Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Isaiah 55, we are studying spirit, soul, and body. It is so important for you of the, as a believer. Let me say that again. It is so important for you as a believer to understand what is of your spirit, what is of your soul, and what is of your flesh. Let me say that again. You need to hear that. It is so important as a believer, especially being allowed to be a believer in the last of the last days, when there's so much out there to stimulate your flesh, stimulate your soul, confuse your mind, cause all kinds of emotions to rise up on the inside of you. And a lot of things the enemy is trying to use to try to get the body of Christ unfocused on the revival and harvest that God is desiring to produce. Now, I, I tell you, a lot of what we heard when we were at the conference this week, some of, I mean, some of, some of the very things, even... Even for uh, uh, Pastor Mark, he got into some things on uh, uh, last night and even today that I actually almost word for word for talked about here on Sunday morning about prophets and about the ministry of the prophet and how we do not live, prophets do not lead us. We're not led by prophets. In the old covenant, prophets foretold. Uh, they were the instruments that God used for direction, for the priest, for the king, for the nation. Uh, they were people that, uh, uh, they, you know, they were literally those that heard from God for others. You don't have that today. You hear from God for yourself. And, you know, a lot of people, that's where uh, they've had some, you know, all of, of course, Tulsa is kind of a different city where there's a lot of, quote, spiritual people and people are wanting to know what the prophets are saying about the election, what the prophets are saying about COVID, what the prophets are, it doesn't matter. It's what the Holy Ghost says that's important and the Holy Ghost can speak to anybody. Amen. Prophets ministry in the New Testament, Acts chapter 15 is for what? It's for edification and it's for confirmation. That's what it says in Acts chapter 15, the prophets of God in that new covenant. They're for edification to edify you and to confirm. Many times words from prophets will confirm what God has already spoke to you. I've got some, some teaching on understanding. When you get a word from God, there are things according to the word of God you can judge that by to make sure it is a, tr a true word from God. Amen? Now, Isaiah chapter 55, we started on this uh, uh, last week, and hopefully I can wind this up tonight so we can get on, on the spirit side of this and start studying our human spirit. Because studying the human spirit is a fascinating study. Because your human spirit has already entered into the eternal realm of the kingdom of God. It has already been empowered by the Holy Ghost. It is a life force in you stronger than the life force you had before you got born again. That's right. Now you had a human spirit in you. And that human spirit was your life force. The Bible says the body, James chapter, uh, what is it? James chapter 2 says, uh, as, the, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So if I could reach in and grab hold of your spirit and just yank it out of your body, your body would fall over dead. Your, your, your spirit man on the inside, it is the life force of your body and of your soul. It is what causes your mind to work. It is what causes all of the different uh, unconscious things that go on in your body, like your blood and your digestion, things you never think about, but they go on in your body all the time. It is your spirit on the inside that is the life force that gives all that power. 
But now that life force that was fallen and not connected to God is now connected to God and you got the Z-O-A, you got the Zoe life of God, Z-O-E, Zoe life of God in you. Let me say this, and we're, this, this is not to criticize. Maybe, maybe it'll help stir you up to help get some people saved. You're more alive as a born-again believer than people that are not. You say, no, what do you mean by that? You're more alive. You have more life in you. You have, you have the God kind of life in you. They have a human spirit, but it is separated from God. So there's always an element of death working in there. That's why a lot of times people, uh, you know, they, 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 you get people that get real negative. They always, they, they really never have a backdrop of any life in them to have any po anything positive about life. So they're always very negative. They always see things very negative. Many times they're just ruled by emotions and feelings and, you know, any old thing that blows this way or that way, they kind of blow, flow with that. Or they live a life in which they can't control anything in their flesh. That's where addictions come from. Amen. So God wants you living by that spirit that's on the inside. But we've got we to finish up with the soul here. Now, uh, verse, let's find it here. Verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and our God and he will abundantly pardon. Now here we go. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now then immediately in verse 10, he doesn't really shift gears or pick up another subject. He enhances the reality of how thoughts work. Now notice what he says. For as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven, and, rain, and returneth uh, not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, so that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Now notice this. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish that which do I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Now immediately on God saying, now listen, you don't think like me. I mean, I've experienced some of that recently. Listen, I know when God speaks to me. I'm, I'm not a, I've, I've been doing this long enough to figure out when. God spoke to me in, in uh, 2019 right after our, our fall harvest conference. And this is what he said. He said, pray over the election. That the, now this is exact because you've heard me say it many times and I say, I say it exactly how he told me to do it. He said, pray over the election that the election process not be tainted. So that when the inauguration comes, now this is what the Spirit of God said to me, either the sitting president will be returned unto his office or the nation will welcome a new president into that office. Amen. So he didn't say Trump was going to win. He didn't say Biden was going to win. He said pray over the process. Now, people would say, because there's all kinds of rhetoric, all, that's why you've got to live spiritually. You can't live naturally. Amen. People would say this, well, you're praying over the wrong thing. Trump, Trump didn't get elected. We weren't praying over Trump getting elected. We're praying over the election. Amen. Then you say, well, if, if the election would have been right, Trump would have got elected. How do you know? How do you know? Well, I don't think God answered that prayer. How do you know? See, that's your problem. You already had fixed in your mind 
how you thought God might answer that prayer. But you have no idea how God will answer that prayer. And it may be in a completely different way than you ever thought of in your life, and it probably will be. And as long as you think that you wasted time in the prayer room or all that prayer was not necessary, all that prayer was for naught, then you're going to be robbed of exactly what God desires to do because you're just leaning on your own thoughts and your own ways and not on God's thoughts and God's ways. God knows a whole lot more about what's going on than any prophet, than any news source, than any politician. God knows a whole lot more than what's going on and His ways are higher and His thoughts are higher. So you better learn to think the thoughts of God. I was, I, got, I, was, I was talking to the Lord about it. I said, well, Lord, you know, I've listened to a couple of news reports. It sounded like there may have been some hanky-panky there, some things going on. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I didn't say I was going to change anything. All I was wanting you to do is pray so I would have permission to get involved. And he said, my involvement is yet to be seen, so you just need to be patient and wait on the Lord. So I shut up and quit talking because every time I did, it made me sound stupid. <laughs> you can't argue with God. I said, you can't argue with God. He's too smart. He's so smart, he can make a heart. Not transplant one, he can make one. He can make a liver. He can make kidneys. He can, he can create a whole human being. God, he is so smart and he does things so well, we just need to learn to have faith in God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. So we have a choice whether or not we're going to think like God thinks and wait on the Lord and do what God does. Now, let me just, let me throw something out there. This may help some of you tremendously. I've mentioned it a couple of times, but it's worth mentioning. This is the last of the last days. The, 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 how can I say this? The eternal purposes of God and the affairs of man are starting to culminate and come together. Amen. Everything we know about the last days, except for the church, everything we know about the last days, except for the church, everything we know about the last days, except for the church, is negative. Uh, the end times is not a time in which God comes and fixes everything. That happens after the end times are over. And there's a new millennium, a thousand, reign, a thousand year reign of Christ. In the meantime, the mess that man has made over 6,000 years is not fixable by man. So if we can just get the right government in here or get this one reelected or this one, it was messed up when they got it and it'll be messed up, messed up when they leave it. In every nation, in all the nations of the world. I watched a, we were, one night we, uh, I was waiting on Leah. She was getting ready for bed and, and uh, uh, we were at the hotel in Tulsa and I was watching a documentary on the, uh, the boxing match between uh, uh, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman in Zaire, in Kinshasa, how do you say it? Hard to say. Anyway, in Zaire, Africa, in 1974. What a bizarre event that was. Absolutely bizarro. I mean, they, they, they go in there to fight this, to, to, to fight, this uh, fight, and, they, and, the, and Foreman, in a, in a sparring match, cut his eye, and the leader, the leader of the nation shut the nation down. Did y'all know that? They, he shut the whole nation. Nobody could come in. Nobody could go out. He said, you're not leaving here until you fight that fight. You're not leaving. Till. So they had to wait six weeks till his eye was healed, 
and they could actually fight the fight. And they fought that fight at 4 o'clock in the morning. 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, what was amazing about the documentary, it was not about Ali. It was not about Foreman. It was about uh, Mobutu, who was the leader of Zaire, who was a nut. <laughs> he was crazy. And it, it, showed, it showed what he had done to the people, what, all this kind of stuff, and how he manipulated. Before the fight happened, he arrested a thousand criminals and executed them in the stadium and then built a boxing match, didn't even clean up their blood or anything, built a boxing uh, uh, ring on top of where they executed all those people. Yeah, he was told to do that by a witch doctor. Now, so, you know, you think government's going to fix something? <laughs> Amen. You need to thank God you're a believer. I said, you need to thank God you're a believer. You have inside information and you also have documentation of how your God thinks so that you can adjust your thinking over to how God thinks. And when you begin to adjust your thinking over to how God thinks, then many times it's amazing how your perspectives begin to change. You don't see things as they are. You see things as God sees them. What's it say over in, in a... 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. For we look not at things that are seen. Well, that's, that's, that's abstract right there. We look not at things that are seen, but are things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal or subject to change, but the things that are unseen are eternal or forever settled in heaven. I've noticed this about people with an eternal focus. This is where God wants to bring the church right now. God wants to bring the church into a place of an eternal focus, not a temporal focus, based on an election, based on a candidate, based on a disease, based on anything. An eternal focus based on the finished work of His, of his Son Jesus and the culmination of a dispensation in which God comes in, makes judgment, and then puts everything back in order the way He said He would do. Can you imagine going through that? You don't have to. You are going through it. That's what you're going through. That's why the emotions, that's why the pressure, that's why the distractions. You say, what do you mean by that? The enemy is producing a multitude of distractions that are, that are, that are, that are working on a lot of believers, on a lot of Christian people. We sat and talked with other ministers, talked with them about things that are going on and, and how so many people, uh, it's either been the COVID issue or it's been the election issue. It's literally got their minds and their hearts off of the reality of serving God and they've, got, they've, they've taken up with a cause. You can't do that. You're going to have to serve God. Let me help you. When... Barack Obama was elected and became president. Island Church had an assignment from the Word of God. Amen? First, th first Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. That's our assignment. To pray for him and to thank God for him. Amen? Now, whoever gets sworn in next week, you know what our assignment's going to be? To pray for them and to thank God for them. Amen. I like something Pastor Mark did. He got up and painted a picture of Saul of Tarsus. 
He said, you know, Saul of Tarsus was a man that was destroying the church. How would you feel if you were living in Damascus when you heard, hey, Saul of Tarsus is heading this way? You know who he was? He was a government leader. He was part of the Sanhedrin whom the Roman government allowed to govern in the Jewish areas of their occupation. So here he's coming. He's coming, if you're a believer, he's coming for you. He's ruthless. He killed Stephen. He allowed, he gave the authority for one of the greatest deacons of the church to be stoned to death. He went all over Jerusalem and he went to people's house with warrants and he kicked the door down and he drugged the parents out with the children cried and he imprisoned them and did it all over the place. Now he's coming for Damascus. He was making a point on intercession. You say, what happened? People were praying. And what happened? What happened? The Bible says, a light shine brighter than the noonday sun. See, if you think like God, you see people in positions, especially those it looks like they have, may have a potential to bring destruction to the church. God sees them like he saw Saul of Tarsus. I think I can make an apostle out of him. <laughs> Some of you need to get, let that get in your spirit. I said, some of you need to let that get in your spirit. Because listen, they're going to come and they're going to go. And they're going to rise up and they're going to fall down. But in the meantime, God expects His church to stay focused upon Him and to begin to probe the Word of God, not only by teaching and preaching, but your own examination, and then to allow the Spirit of God to allow these truths to become resident on the inside of you where you do not think Democrat, you do not think Republican, you do not think black, you do not think white, you do not think male or female, you do not think American or, or Hispanic, you think Christ. You have the mind, the attitude, the purpose, and the will of God rolling around inside your head all the time. If not, you're going to get distracted. You're going to get all focused. You're going to find it hard to operate in faith, and you're going to find it hard to maintain any passion in serving God. Man, there is, there is, God, God is just, God is doing so much right now to position people, to get people ready. Listen, the, the, the harvest of God and revival, those things never happen in the best of times when everything gets lined up perfect and the guy, you got all your ducks in a row. Many times it happens when there's all kinds of turmoil and strife and all kinds of things are going on, which causes what? Which causes people to pray and causes them to intercede and cry out to God. And when they cry out to God, God hears from heaven and sends the answer to the earth. Amen. 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 And the answer is not a change of government. The answer is a move of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's why contending for a move of the Holy Ghost should be more preeminent in your mind than any kind of governmental change or political idea. And the problem is here in America, we got so many preachers that's got caught up in political ideas. I mean, it's just crazy. I hear these guys prophesying, these guys saying all this kind of stuff. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? What are they going to do when their prophecies don't come to pass? I listened to one the other day who was already crawfishing. Well, he'd given this prophecy and all this kind of stuff, and, you know, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You can tell he was missing it right and left. Amen. And then he, he got off on this. Well, you know, God does things. They're very mysterious. You know, he just began to kind of crawfish out the back. I could tell he was trying to save himself before something happened that would kind of disprove him as somebody who was trying to be a foreteller 
and a seer instead of a servant in the body of Christ. Yeah. Amen. Because the greatest thing we can do for the church is not to prophesy what's going to happen tomorrow, but to teach you the Word of God today that empowers you for anything that's going to happen tomorrow. Now, let's go back to this point because this is the point I was at last week and I really need to make this. I think this is good. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher, if I say higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth. If I say bring forth. Actually, in the Hebrew, you study that word, it's one singular word that we get the word automatic from, which means this is an automatic process. Do you understand that? It's something that God built into creation that if you go out and you plow a piece of ground and you put seed in that ground and the rain comes, you know what's going to happen? Automatically, something's going to spring up out of that ground. Did you know that? And God is showing us, now wait a second. He's saying, now listen, I have put this process of seed time and harvest in the earth and it just does not cover agriculture. It covers everything. You know, some of the things that the other religions of the world, the Buddhists, the Muslims, the Hindus, some of the cults, Things like meditation. People say, oh, you shouldn't get involved in any of that meditation. That sounds like an Eastern religion. No, no, they stole it from Christianity. They stole it, they stole it from the Word. The Word talked about meditation before anybody else did. Amen. Visualizing. People say, oh, you shouldn't be around any people that visualize it. Why not? The Bible says we're destroyed for a lack of vision. You need vision. You need a vision for your life. We need a vision as a church. Amen. But God is showing us that this seed time and harvest principle will work in your thoughts and your ways. That's why he connected it to You say, what do you mean by that? Pastor, I really have a hard time thinking like you say doing. You had not planted any, any, any seeds of thought in your mind. A lot of people are too busy planting other seeds in their mind. You sit there all day long watching the news reading books, reading magazines that really don't amount to a hill of beans, instead of just literally sowing into your mind on a continual basis because, see, your mind is a fertile ground because of your spirit. Your spirit is the fertile soil in which the Word of God will go into and produce the harvest of God, but your mind has its own type of soil that will cause the Word of God to go into your mind and become the type of thinker that lines up with what the Spirit of God has in it, in your human spirit. You understand that? Because the Bible says the carnal mind is what? It's God's enemy. So there's got to be something planted into your mind that will keep your mind from fighting everything your spirit says to do. Because that's where God is giving you instruction and giving you revelation. So you are what? You are by force. You're literally forcing yourself to think another way. And forcing yourself to think another way involves planting the seed of the Word of God. This is what he's talking about right here. He says, listen, if you will put the seed in your mind, I'll send the water from heaven. 
If you'll put the seed in your mind, I'll send the water from heaven and it's going to do what? It's going to bring forth. He says it like this. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It what? It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish that whereto it is sent and it'll prosper in the thing in which it was sent to. I'm telling you, one of the subjects that I saw in the, in the, in the late 80s and early 90s when I just began to really get going in ministry, I saw this work in prosperity more than any other subject I can think of. Because basically, the Pentecostal nation thought poverty. Even though they needed money to build buildings, and most, most, most churches were strapped with a lot of debt. Most people did everything based on, you know, how much we can borrow, how much we can, you know, let, let's, let's renegotiate our note, let's do this. I mean, ministries operated like that for years. And that's how people thought. It was a mindset. It was a thought. It was a, it was a way of thinking. Then there began to come what? Teaching. 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 And what was that teaching doing? It was sowing seeds in the spirit. And revelation was going into men and women's spirit. Then it was changing the mindset of poverty so that men would not think and women would not think poverty mentality. They thought prosperity mentality. Sure, people got in the ditch with it. Sure, people ripped off people. Sure, people took it. The world system always does things like that when people do not walk in the integrity of the Word of God, but they try to glean the power out of it anyway. And God lets some people get away with that. You say, why? Well, he's not, he's, not, he's not afraid because somebody messes up a doctrine. Some people just got in the ditch and like, you know, if you're not flying an airplane, if you're not, God don't have a million dollars in a bank account. If, you know, I remember we were sat, sitting under one guy, he was talking about, if you balance your checkbook, that's poverty mentality. I thought, if I don't, I'm going to jail. And that's real poverty mentality. Amen. No, they just got in the ditch on some of it, but the real part of it changed my, the real revelation part of it, when we got revelation on that, it changed our mindset. Now, I can, I can pick on Papa, he's not here tonight, but he grew up in the Depression. Both my mom and dad grew up in the Depression, and there is a difference. Some of you, how many of you have parents or grandparents grew up in the Depression? There is a difference in the way people think that grew up in the depression. I mean, there is a, I mean, there, I mean, my grandmother was like that. They grew up in the depression. You'd go in her house and you'd pull out drawers and like one drawer you'd pull it out and it'd be full of all those little uh, salt and pepper things you get at Dairy Queen. Never threw one away. Saved every one of them. Another drawer you'd pull out be full of straws that were never used. Amen. You pull out another drawer and it'd be napkins from Dairy Queen and Whataburger. And not, you know, every time you go to water or something, you get, come on, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You open up the cabinet and there's all these glasses from all these, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's like, I've got to hang on to everything. You never know. I mean, it's just, it's a mentality. The, the, the depression of this nation, which began in 1929 and ran right up to when World War II started, put a, put a poverty mentality in this nation. Now, so a few people broke out here, a few people broke out there, but the church did not break out literally until the late 70s and into the 80s when men began to teach God is a God of prosperity. He will supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He will take care of you. You can actually go out and buy a thing of salt. <laughs> Which revolutionized a lot of people's minds as they begin to what? Think the thoughts of God. 
They begin to allow, first of all, that which would produce the harvest of prosperity to be planted in their spirit. You say, what do you mean by that? They were planting into their spirit that which they would obey, that which they would say, and that which they would act upon. Then they were planting into their mind that knowledge of prosperity so that it would not fight against what was going on in their spirit. Amen? I mean, I know, I, I, I remember the first, I don't know, three or four, I'm trying to think which meeting it was, either the third or the fourth meeting I ever preached. I did three meetings at a church. And it was not a small church. I spoke to the youth. I spoke to the men's group. And I spoke to the, uh, to the uh, I spoke to the youth. I spoke, and I spoke on a Wednesday night service. Church of about 500 people. And they took an offering every service. And so, you know, here I am. It's like my third meeting. I'm thinking, oh, praise God, don't get a nice offering. All this. They, didn't give, they didn't give me nothing but a pat on the back out, going out the door. And I got back to my house, and I thought, what a ripoff. <laughs> I mean, I was upset. I'm thinking, these people, I mean, and it began to get on me, and my, the devil began to put thoughts into my mind. But you know what I did? I was smart enough to stick with the Word of God and I began to pray and I began to study the Word and then the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said this, send them an offering. Amen. Amen. How many of you think like that? Amen. I wanted to send them a pipe bomb. Amen. Amen. I did. I wanted to send them a pipe bomb. I was like, you know, I just, you ripped me off. You've stolen from me. God will smite you, you know. You've robbed, the, you've robbed the laborer of his, of, his, uh, of his wages. God spoke to me and said, send them an offering. <laughs> I didn't have an offering to send for them, you know. <laughs> but finally, I knew it was God speaking to me. So I, I went actually back there. I didn't even have a checkbook. I went and got a money order, wrote a nice thank you note for allowing me to come minister and, uh, and, uh, and sent it to him. And about three months later, I had totally forgot about it. See, obeying God gave me peace. And, didn't, and the devil wasn't able to beat me up. See, I sowed some seed into my mind so that the enemy couldn't just con continue to come into my mind and mess with me over that, mess with you. And, and, and one day, uh, my dad came up. He said, he pulled, it, he pulled this check out. He said, now, now this, this church sent me this check, but it's made out to you. <laughs> I said, let me see it. So I took it and I said, yeah, that's for me. And I just folded it up and put it in my pocket. Amen. But they finally, after three months, came around and woke up. But I'd already let it go. I'd already written it off. It didn't matter to me. I'd forgiven, gone on down the road. You say, why? Because that was his thoughts. That was God's thoughts because I was looking at preaching meetings as a source. About 10 years later, end of the year, Lee and I had a meeting with Joe and Carmen Trevino. Went to Bible school with Joe powerful church up in South Houston. Sunday through Wednesday night, two services a day. Packed out house every night. Gets good. See the offerings, the buckets going by and all the money and checks sticking out. You were like, glory to God. See, you didn't, you didn't know preachers think like that. They do. They're human. Amen. You're thinking, glory. So on, on Monday night, the Lord speaks to me and he said, you can't have this offering. And I'm like, you lying devil. How dare you attack my mind like that? But see, it wasn't going in here. It was coming up out of here. I'm like, oh, my God. And so praying the next day, getting ready for the meeting, the Lord spoke to me again. He said, your problem is you're living by your offerings 
and I can't let you do that. You're, you're called to live by faith, not by your offerings. So Tuesday night, I told Leah, I said, Leah, you know, the Lord spoke to me and said, we can't take this offering. And she looked at me and said, are you sure God spoke to you? <laughs> I said, I'm sure. Wednesday night came after the service. I'm back in the office with Pastor Joe. And he's like, you know, he's got this. I can tell he was very happy about what his church was fixing to sow into Rusty Martin Ministries. And I said, Joe, I can't take this offering. He's like, Rusty, you got to. This is a seed for our church. We're believing God for this. And I think they were believing God to build a building. We're believing for this and that. I said, Joe, I can't take it. I'm I just, you know, I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to throw it back into your ministry. And I remember walking out of there and the devil was just, he's, he was just beating my brains out. Now, this is a Christmas time. We had staff to pay, bonuses to write. We had, we had all other types of things. We had travel. We had our products that we had. We had all these different departments. that we had, you had to, they, they all cost money. I think at that time we were, were leasing a building over there on Lake Road. We were leasing that little office space. And so I finally, after a couple of days, I got over all of that and thought, well, I ain't living by no offerings again. You know, I'm going to do that. And we had a little meeting in, in Oakwood, Texas. Not Oakwood, uh, it's right there by the woodlands. It's on the other side of the highway from the woodlands. Anyway, little, little church, 35, 40 people. Most of them above 55, you know, kind of an elderly crowd, elderly pastor. And, you know, Sunday morning only, you know, and they pass the plate, and you're kind of going, <laughs> looking pretty tough, you know. And uh, I remember we went to ponchos. Leah doesn't like ponchos. <laughs> you know where you raise the flag? I haven't been to ponchos, amen? I mean, if you're an eater, you, like, you really like ponchos if you're an eater. It's, you keep that flag going, amen? And so, you know, we got in the, I put, they, they handed me a, uh, 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 an envelope and I, I always even to this day whenever I speak for somebody I pray over the offering I receive it uh, by faith and I speak faith over uh, uh, what they give that's a proper thing to do amen and so I remember riding home I didn't even think about opening it because I figured you know I mean you couldn't you know I had not enough, not enough money to pay attention with you know and uh, I remember pulling it out of my pocket and I'm driving and opened it up and went oh my god and handed it over to Leah it was, it, was, it was the largest offering check we got all year. Blew us away. We were like, oh my God. Well, it proved to me that you have to think like God thinks. You can't think like you think. We're so protective of our thinking. Here's why. The investment that we've made in our thinking. Think of the intellectual investment you have made in your thinking. Your experience, your education, your upbringing, and then you get caught up in this Christianity and it says, forsake all your thoughts. It's not telling you to forget everything you've learned. What it's telling you to do is do not let what you have learned impede you from learning how God is God and you're not. 
That's what a lot of people, their thinking has never allowed them to cross the line. Thank God for education. Thank God for everything we can learn. But your thinking has to get to the point where you're able to gain the perspective of a God in heaven who's omnipresent, all-powerful, can do anything, who is a creator and whose thoughts are so much higher, whose ways are so much higher that it, I mean, you, you, you can't even explore the dimensions of it whose character and character traits such as grace and mercy and love and compassion are far beyond any measure that man could measure it with. Remember the prayer over there in Ephesians chapter 3, what is the breadth, length, depth, and height? To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. That means you do not have a scale. You do not have a measuring stick. There's nothing you can do to measure how big the love of God is. You have to experience it. Amen? And then the Bible is a study in how God thinks so much differently than we think. Everything that He did to bring redemption upon the earth. Destroying the earth. His interaction with man. His interaction with Abraham. Everything he did in the old covenant. I mean, if eh, none of us could have come up with that. That's why when God does something powerful in your life, it's beyond figuring out. Now let me, ooh, my time's up. Let me close with this. Whether you realize this or not, the generation that we live in, as far as knowledge goes, is the smartest generation that's ever been on the earth. I mean, people are really, there's, there's people that are really smart. The technology and, and everything from, from mechanics to medicine to, to you name it, to, 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 to space to you name it, is, is man, this is, this is the zenith of man's intelligence. But it's fallen. Amen. And you have to realize something about yourself. Whether you are, went to college for 20 years or whether you just met, barely made it out of high school, you're, you have so much more knowledge in you than men had back in 1900, 1920, 1870. In that era, you have so much more knowledge inside that if you were translated back into that time, you'd be a genius just by what you know. Everybody in here, every person. So I'm not so smart. You are compared to people that have come before us. The education, the experience, and the history of mankind has imparted to you a knowledge that no other generation has ever had. Do you understand that? That's both a positive and a negative. It works for you and it works against you. Amen. Because in the eyes of God, we just not, we're not that sharp. You say, why? Well, how can you say that? That's why we need God. You've got to understand that getting close to God creates a dependency upon Him. Let me say that again. Getting close to God creates a dependency upon Him beyond the natural affection of dependency upon any other thing. To where in your life, when you begin to cut things off of your intimacy and relationship with God, everything else is based on that. You know, we, Lee and I are working on a 
marriage class, a marriage course. We're going to begin a YouTube channel. We're going to begin it with the, on the subject of marriage. So we've been talking a little bit, not as much as we should, but we've got a few things done. So I started thinking about, and the Lord put this in my spirit. What do you love? This is what the Lord said to me. What do you love about your wife the most? So I started thinking. I, th I spent some time thinking about that. And I thought 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 about that. And then I came up with this. What I love about my wife the most is how she loves God. Did you know that gives us a very healthy marriage? So I told her that and she looked at me and said, you know what I love about you the most? I said, what, sweetie? She said, I love the way you love God. And because of that, I mean, we've really never had major marriage issues. That one incident shows you how even something as intimate as a marriage, when you cut it off the angle of God in your life, it becomes the preeminent foundation that even brings two people together and keeps them together in Christ. I mean, you take that out, that's why people go through so much hell in marriage many times. Is because one's not serving God or the other's not serving God the way they should and the other just doesn't see God in them, which is scary in a relationship when the other is serving God. I watched that in my grandmother and grandfather for years. My grandmother was a powerful intercessor, a woman of God who could pray heaven and earth together, would pray four hours a day. My grandfather was an uh, 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 oil-filled roughneck who rejected the call of God on his life. And because of that, they never prospered. They lived in poverty their whole life. They never prospered. They never prospered. They never really had anything. They never really owned a home. They always, you know, leased a home or, or leased a trailer house. And he would go from place to place where at the end of his life, he just ended up a junk collector, just going out and gathering metal and taking it into Houston to sell while she prayed and stayed on her knees and prayed every day. And the atmosphere of the home was not an atmosphere you would like. Because one of them wouldn't serve in God. See, that God element of your life, once it gets established as the foundation of your life, everything else in your life is cut off that angle. The love you have for your wife, your intensity at your job or your, your business, the way you conduct business, your integrity, everything is cut off of that. Everything. Uh, um, Pastor Martin Brzee told a story. I'll close with this. I promise. I thought it was good, though. He, he, he worked with Brother Hagen, Kenneth e. Hagen, for 30 years. Lived with him for three. We knew Brother Hagen from back in the, in the 60s, and then once I got in ministry, I got reacquainted, but no, we didn't know him near as well as, as Mark did. But Mark told a story of a phone call that came into, into, into Ramah when uh, Bush Sr. was president. And uh, they knew about how how Rama prayed and how the intercession that went on. So they invited uh, uh, Brother Hagen to go to the White House, you know, come on to the White House. And so uh, the call came in through the office, and then Mark was there when the, when the invitation was presented to Brother Hagen. You know what he said? This is what he said. Yeah, they don't need me. They're doing fine without me. Now think about that for a minute call from the President of the United States to come to the White House. And the response is, they don't need me. 
They're doing fine without me. Where did that come from? That came from a God angle. That came from a God angle. You know why? Because ministers should not be involved in politics. Every minister I've ever known that's gotten involved in politics, it's destroyed them completely. Getting quiet in here. But when you have that foundation, that God angle, you know what he was saying? He said, I'm not going to go to the Democrats. I'm not going to go to the Republicans. They're doing just fine without me. There's no reason for me to go because of how I think from the Word of God. And when you begin to realize that a lot of the success of great men and women of God happened because of thinking the thoughts of God or thinking the way God thinks, then you begin to pull that into your own life as inspiration from others and information from the Word of God. You begin to cut everything in your life off of that same angle. What does God think about this? What does God think about this? What does God think about this thing at my job that I'm... What does God think about this, this thing in, 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 in my neighborhood that's going on? What does God think about... You know, all of those questions that arise in life, if your question to that question would be, what does God think about this? And then you seek the answer of that question, you're always going to make it. I said, you're always going to make it. But the day you think... I don't need to think what God thinks about this. And you take off on your own. You're not walking humbly anymore. You've stepped into a level of pride that Proverbs says it goes before a fall. Amen. That's why here at Island Church, I've got ambition and ego like any other man. And I was on church boards. When I traveled, I did all kinds of work with churches to help build buildings and raise money and do this and that. I, had every, I know everything you need to do. And God has never let me do any of it. You say, why? Because that's how I think. But see, when we get that building built, it's going to be done how? How God says to do it. And God will get the glory and we'll get the maximum potential out of what God desires to do right here on this island and everywhere else he sends us. That's how God operates. So if there's an area in your life in which you're struggling in your thinking, let that word get into your mind. You say, how, sometimes it's a force. Get, a, get, a, get, a, get, a, get an index card, write the scripture, maybe two or three trans, and keep it in your pocket every day. Keep it in your pocket every day. I know a friend of mine, he was struggling with, a, with walking in love because we was in a conference that was kind of rough and they were really abusing the ministers. And we were walking down the street and, and one, pre one minister was saying to the other, I was walking behind him, saying, well, what do you think about this and this? And, and, the robbers, and he took this out and he just started reading, love is kind, love is patient. Love is he was just forcing himself to think what the word says. You got to, it's not going to happen naturally. You got to force yourself to think the thoughts of God. Amen. Lift your hands. Father, thank you for your word tonight. That your word does not return void, but it does accomplish. It does produce the fruit necessary to cause our minds to line up with how you think, Lord. We want your ways. We want your thoughts. We want your grace, your mercy. We want your mercy when we make mistakes. We want your grace operating as our faith rises to new levels. Father, in the craziness of this hour, the turmoil of everything that goes on, let us cut the focus off from all of the world, its news, its reports, and let us refocus upon the one who loves us, on the one who died for us, and the one who provides a brand new way of thinking for us so that we will not be 
encumbered by what's going on in the world. Thank you as we leave tonight, Father. Your grace for protection is upon us. I know that some are traveling, Lord. Others are, are, are working in their jobs and businesses. And all of us, Father, out in the public. So we declare Psalms 91 over the entire church. We choose to think how God thinks. No evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. So we declare, Father, in all of our travels and in the righteous labor of our hands, we are protected by God. Father, we choose to think your thoughts when it comes to the people outside the four walls of this church that are hurting, that are so afraid, that are so uncertain, that are looking to governments, that are looking to medicine, that are looking to all the different places that humanity looks for answers. Thank you, Father, for another answer. And that's Jesus. The fire of evangelism burn on the inside of our hearts. Let us be a problem to the devil. Let us be an answer to people's prayers and a miracle in their life. Lord, as we leave today, we walk in faith and love towards you. We love you so much. We walk in love one toward another. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for our church. And we leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.